1: we are flawed, uh, sometimes our message could be flawed, but God is not. And so if we have a misconception about God or because of past experiences, we have to just get past it and then relearn the heart of God.
2: It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better, The when it belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood,
0: Dale Culver. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. Social distancing. I think we're at four feet, not six. Yeah. I'll try not to, like, rub your shoulders or something, so... Don't phlegm on me. So I did give you a cup of coffee, so I've already exposed you, so... Um, did you lick my lid you You've first? been exposed by two baristas that touched that cup, plus me. Oh, Lord. So um, I did not spray, because I didn't want to take away the integrity of the drink, so Jeez. you'll just have to trust... Killing me. here a little bit. So, hey, um I'm really excited about today. This is a continuation about our with our podcast uh on Arena Man Answers and we've got uh, two guys that are very involved in our ministry. But before I introduce them, I want to see if you got a man word
3: for me today. I do, and this is for everybody out there working at home right now. It is patience.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> so why is that
3: a man word? <laughs> well, <laughs> It, I think everybody can kind of understand that you're at home right now, you're working, and uh, you're probably uh, with kids in the house, and you are now the teacher and babysitter, and mm. you have a full-time job. Yeah. And uh, so you got to hold it together, uh, go easy, as you respond to the uh, cries of your children yeah. <laughs> when they're having WWE in the living room, that yeah. uh, you're trying to work. So really, it's, it's just a reminder that we need to be patient And act in love. Well, even with our situation, Shanna's off on a medical leave for a month, and
0: uh, it's just really been hard having her there, because our normal is she's here for four days, and she's gone for four type of thing, and now she's here all the time, and she's bored, and she's struggling with being bored, and so it's tough. Yeah, Uh, I think we need
3: to remember, in the scheme of things in life, there are literally people that are um, not with us anymore. And uh, we need to look at the big picture and look at who we have around us and love them. Love them while we can. Yeah. Because uh, you don't know when tomorrow's going to come and you they won't be there. So be patient, man.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, really, it's been a really good thing because now we're with our loved ones more than ever. I mean, there's a lot of cool things. There's some neat stuff coming out of this thing. But we're, and you can check out what we have to say about how to handle COVID-19 on our many podcast episodes we've been putting out. On Dare to Prepare and other things. And we've got a couple more coming out. Our e blast so on our website. Our e blast. You can subscribe to that and at menandarena.org and get that. We'll send you a free copy of my bathroom book for men. But hey, I'm really excited about these guys. I introduced you to them last week. But here we go again. I have Ray de la Nuez. If you want to know what that means, that literally means nuts. Like, that's literally his name. Ray the Nut, right, Ray? That's right. It's de la Nuez, not de las Nuez. how would you pronounce the nut how how is nuts what would that be nueces 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 i was that that z throws me off right so
1: close man that z throws me
0: off so hey he's 27 years old lives in port orange florida did i hear that you're leaving in a month and you're you're going to be deployed
1: no so if the dod keeps everything the way that they're saying it's going to be right now i will be leaving on may 1st to go do some training so that uh that is still up in the air
0: okay so as you know uh ray is second lieutenant marine in the marine corps he's been uh also married to his beautiful wife natasha for eight years and uh, he has a podcast called made to rain where his vision is to engage in power and encourage men to grow in their faith so uh welcome to the show ray it's always great to have you on thanks a lot
1: brother thanks for having me back
0: on no it's awesome and ray you're also one of our blog writers So uh, four times a year we get to read a blog for our equipping blast that you've written, so appreciate you doing that, man. So, hey, the next guy I'm going to bring on the show is Gary McCusker. Gary is 64 years old. He's a pastor in Parker, Colorado at Parker Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a.k.a. Pepsi. Been married to his beautiful wife, Debbie, of 45 years. He is the vice president of Men in the Arena. He is a Ramos family hero because in 1984 he led me to the Lord. Back when I went by Ramos, I changed the pronunciation. You led Jimmy Ramos <laughs> to the Lord. Now it's Jim Ramos. So I don't know. How you doing, Gary?
4: You know, I'm doing well. I've had a few uh, last couple of weeks since last time we talked. I've been sick with the flu. even had to call the doctor to find out if I had the virus. But I'm doing well and back in the game.
0: Oh, man, I didn't know you had the flu, man. I, I I would have thought you would have let me know if we could pray for you. Wow. Okay.
4: Keep praying for me. I'll take it any
0: Oh, man. Hey, guys. Hey, before we jump on here, I want to ask you both a question. Uh, What's your biggest challenge surrounding COVID-19 during this season? Uh, Personally, what's your personal biggest challenge, the thing you're wrestling with, the thing you're struggling with the most?
1: Right now, for me, it's staying focused on the family. So especially because the family now is all congested in the house. um, And I'm taking this time to be really wanting to be really intentional, but to stay focused on that task. 100% of the time, that looks very, very different uh, than than it might look like on paper. So, I mean, you can only go through ABCs and then teach your kids something before you're like, all right, kids, now I need to binge watch something.
0: Well, yeah, you know, it's interesting, Ray. Our routines run very, very deep. And when we get out of those routines, it's really difficult to break them up. And uh, they just have such a power. So appreciate you sharing that. So, Gary, how about you, man? What's your biggest challenge surrounding uh, COVID-19?
4: You know, I think being the CARE Ministries pastor and being who I am, I love people. And so not being able to have those face-to-face uh, coffee time chats, uh, meetings with the guys, you know, doing everything online. Uh, so, you know, I, I think the power of touch is still important, but I think the power of listening and the power of uh, calling people and checking in and praying for them over the phone is, it's just a different rhythm. And so, just getting used to that, and uh, as a new normal for.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting, Gary. I don't know if it was you, but I know a couple guys in, in ministry inspired me. And so, um, I've actually gone down. We have a church that averages about one hundred seventy five, two hundred on Sundays. I actually went down. I'm just a, I'm a layman in the church at this point, and I went. I'm going down our church directory, just calling everybody's everybody in the church who I know, and just checking in, and uh, the ministry. That I'm having to our senior singles. So, our 70 plus widowers, you know, uh, and widows has been really a phenomenal thing. I've had some beautiful conversations. And uh, for me, I found myself struggling with lack of purpose during this thing. And doing that has given me something to do. It's been a great source of ministry. And it sounds like you're doing something very similar. Are you going down the church directory or just calling people as God puts them on your heart?
4: Well, I oversee about 70 deacons in our church and the deacons have been given a list of people in our church to call. So I'm, uh, I'm connecting with the deacons, and when they run into a tough situation, then they'll call me, and then I'm just trying to keep the deacons really in the perspective of praying for folks, listening, encouraging, passing on prayer requests. So it's kind of mobilizing an army of folks to, to reach the rest. Oh,
0: that's really good, man. 70 deacons, that's a ton, man. That's awesome. That's a lot of work. Well, hey, guys, we're going to jump on into the interview questions, and uh, so uh, I'm going to have Dale read the questions, and we're going to try to hit him out of the park, and so we have uh, at least four right now. We've got a post online waiting for some other guys to chime in, so we may have more than four, but we're going to tackle this, and this has been really good,
3: so I'm really excited to hear what we have to say here. All right. This is Nathan from Minnesota. How do you go about meeting single Christian women? I mean, seriously. There seems to be an issue within Christian men and Christian culture, or maybe it's just me. I just don't get it. Dating is the dumbest thing, and same with courtship. I'm darn near just becoming a bachelor for life. Ray, you want to tackle that one?
1: I would love to tackle that one. I just want to say, Nathan, my friend, look around, right? So the world is not lacking in women and especially in christian women but here's the one thing that i will say the world is lacking in christian men wait for it christian men who are passionately seeking the heart of god and so here we are complaining that oh there's not any christian women where do we find them where do we do this but we're not pursuing the heart of the father and just focusing on becoming the person who we're looking for is looking for And that's the one thing that changed it for me. Like, I literally had to focus on myself. And when I started to do that as a single man, it just, things started to line up. Actually, people saw that now I became a changed man. So they started to introduce me to the right person who then became my wife and the mother of my three children. So again, it's not about whether there's a lack of women. My friend, they are out there and they, they want to know you. They want to meet you, but you have to become the person who they're looking for is looking for. And, and I want to ask you, like, who has modeled this for you? I know I said this in one of the, the last questions that that you that we asked in the last show, but this is so important. Like, if you've never had a man model for you what it looks like to actually uh, court a woman and to date her, you're going to think it's a useless, uh, useless pursuit. Just give me the prize and, and just give me a woman that's going to cook for me, right? But if you are actually shown that... This is uh, uh, the pursuit of a woman, just like you pursue game and they're so it's so passionate, just like you keep casting out there while you're fishing, and it's this passionate pursuit because you're there, you're hungry, you're you're wanting to pursue for the sake of, of the adventure. Um, yeah, I just want to know that. And then lastly, and I want to hear what, what you have to say, what, what you think about it, Jim, but a woman wants to be shown that she's captivating. A woman wants to be shown that that she is worth it. So, if your approach to this entire dating thing is just like, ah, let's get through this dumb thing. It's just courtship. I don't think you're going to have much luck and you're not going to find the woman that you're looking for. What do you think, man?
0: Yeah. When I read this question, I try to read into the question to see who yeah. the man is writing the question. Right, and uh, right. there's a quote here dating is the dumbest thing and the same with courtship. But when I read that, I'm going, well, first of all, dating is different than courting. You know, courting, the end game is marriage, dating, the end game is there is no in game sex fulfillment personal fulfillment narcissism uh you know he, uh, hedonism i don't know but but when i read into this i'm like well it's are you all in with this thing you know and are you a dateable guy you know that's the thing that you said it right best man we need to be guys that are courtable and dateable we need to be guys that are you said Uh, We are Christian men who are pursuing passionately the heart of God, and that's what we need to be. We need to be guys who are pursuing passionately the heart of Jesus Christ. That man is dateable. And here's the deal. I want to say this. Guys, we're visual. Women are are not. They're more audible. They're more verbal. And so they are not as concerned with you being this big stallion-looking guy, but they are concerned about your heart, And your heart pursuing Jesus is the most attractive thing that you can offer to a woman. And I'm gonna tell you something right now. It is a the ratio is at least 10 to 1 Magnum Christian women to men right now. So if you're having a hard time finding a woman, I don't know, buddy. (laughs) I'm saying they're out there. And now now what are some of the websites these guys can go to? There are some Christian, isn't there so aren't there some Christian dating sites out there that are pretty effective? Christian Mingle?
1: Yeah, I think I've heard of Christian Mingle, and, and that's one of the things that, where it's like kind of up in the air. Like, what, is, what are you really going in there for? Yeah. What motives are you going in there for? Mm. Uh, and so I think, hey, it's awesome that technology can connect us with somebody that's way out in Oregon, and I'm in, and I'm in Florida. But uh, if we're doing it for affirmation, if we're doing it because we're just kind of browsing, you know, we're just kind of like seeing and, and maybe trying this out. Like, no, hey, be intentional. You are, you're serious about this. You're not going to do this casual dating thing. Um, what do you
3: think? Hey, I think I'm going to defer to Dale on this one. Yeah, so here's my thing. Like, if you're a Christian you're and you go to church like you should and you're volunteering like you should, I think it's going to be a natural thing. Jim and I have seen so many of our youth ministry volunteers. Like, we challenged them. They started pursuing Christ. The women would see this in the guys and go, oh, that guy loves Jesus. Oh, he's hot, even though he wasn't. And <laughs> For sure. and then he would end up marrying some gorgeous woman, which he, that he was way out of his league, but it was because he was so in love with Jesus. So my question is, are you plugged into your local church and are you serving? And I think that women, which like Jim said, there's it's 10 to 1 ratio. There's a lot of awesome godly women out there and very few men that are running the race like the ladies are. So get involved and... Uh, <laughs> I think you'll see a difference. Yeah,
0: I agree 100%. And you're a a man who has three daughters you're raising. So you get this. I'm
3: looking for dudes that are worthy. Yeah. And it's just, they're not there. Yeah. Jim, and
1: I want to add this in there. I feel like, you know, this time is not coming for a while. I have one daughter. She's only three right now. But when she gets to the age, I see my interaction with this guy who's going to come in and try to court her. And I know the first question I'm going to ask him. I already know it. I've known it before she was even born. It was. When's the last time you watched porn? Oh, whoa, yeah. I'll just go there, right? I'm going to go right to it. First of all, by jugular. Question, you're going to know a lot of things. Yeah. Go for the, right jugular. To the jugular. Right. Kick them right, right where it know hurts. A lot of things about me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, I'm direct. I'm not going to BS with you. And if the last time that you watched porn was any time in, the, I won't give a time. But if you're courting my, my my daughter, you're not going through that process with her. You're going to do that on your own and then come back. We'll we'll talk later. And I guess this isn't meant to be condemning. It's not meant to be shaming. That's not my personality. That's not who I am. But I do just want to be honest. I mean, let's, let's get real. When's the last time you watched porn? Let's start there. And then you can start asking questions about Christian women who are out there today.
0: Well, you brought something up that's interesting. So I'm going to challenge you a little bit. So let's right, say man. that guy goes, "Oh, I've never watched porn." Okay, I would rather. Or let's say you have another guy that goes, "You know what? I I have to tell you, I watched porn last week." I'm going to take the guy that watched porn last week every day of the week because he's the one that's not lying to you. Hmm. I'd rather have a kid, not <laughs> a young man, not lie to me than BS me and say oh, I never watched porn. Oh right, really? Yeah. Oh really? And Fox News is true, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> CNN is fair. You know what I mean? Come on. You know what I'm saying? I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just. I'm not. I'm just saying. So when you ask that question, just realize the answers you're going to get. Because I love the question, right? But your answer, you might want to rethink the the better answer. <laughs> you're
1: right. You're right. They're Actually, you're lie. right. So maybe maybe draw him in, get him to give me the truth. And, and yes. say, You know what? Okay. Now, uh, I'll, let me connect you with some guys. <laughs> or set him
0: up. Set him up. Hey, I'm going to tell you something right now. I just I'm mentoring a 22 year old youth pastor, and I told him this. I don't care what you ever say to me. But don't you dare ever lie to me. I can oh. handle the truth. I cannot handle you lying to me. So maybe you set the question up, bro. Maybe That's a great idea. I love that question, though. And yeah, then yeah. say, hand
3: me your phone. Yeah, hand <laughs> me your
0: phone. Let me look at this stuff. All right, hey, let's move on to the next question. So we've had Gary silent for the last five minutes, and, and I've been saving Gary for this one. What do we got?
3: All right. This is Aaron Fuller. Yes. Lives in uh, Missouri. Why is it so hard to get the church involved in the discipleship of men,
0: Gary? I know you've been fighting this battle for many, many years. Uh, you've won some and you've lost some. So why don't you, as a pastor, share this uh, perspective your perspective with with uh, Aaron?
4: Yeah, this baffles me uh, because I, I believe that if a pastor is wise enough, um, you know, he, one of the first things he's going to do is is call on his army of men to help lead the charge of love and servant leadership in his community. You know, that's going to impact marriages. That's going to impact families, but there's something in the DNA of a pastor that feels threatened when strong men are involved. And it, it, it just, uh, it's like that the pastor loves being like everybody, especially, you know, the, the female population emulates that pastor and so, they sometimes they uh, you know we, we hear that many pastors are narcissists, and and I I, I think pastors are uh, you know what they need to do the kind of things that they are called to uh, be a part of is is beyond the scope of what anybody really can comprehend. You know, I mean they have to be astute theologically. They need to be uh, you know wise uh, governors of their communities they have they have they got to be counselors. They got to be, you know, great expositors. All those things. There's a lot of expectations on them. And if they just realized, hey, I'm not gifted in certain areas, and I have other men who are, I can mobilize an army to really be the body of Christ. But there's something in there that is a threat to to many pastors. And uh, you know, the ones that really embrace it, man, I feel like their churches thrive. But there is something in there that I, I can't put my finger on it. But so as I meet with pastors, I, I find out, Are you would you like to have a strong men's ministry? And uh, they might give you the lip service, but they're not going to give you the support of it. That's my experience. I'm, 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 that's one of my, I'm an ambassador as a pastor to other pastors. Hey, open the door. Let's get these guys connected. Let's get them involved. It will make a world of difference to your community.
0: Hey, Gary, I got a question. So you said if a pastor is wise enough, he'll call on his army of men. And so I underlined the word wise enough, and I wrote the word biblical enough. You know, in the Bible, what is what does what the Bible as a pastor, you've been a pastor, you've been in ministry all your adult life, what does the Bible teach about God, men, and leadership? versus God, women, and leadership, if you were going to design a church around the biblical model of equipping the saints, how would you design that model? Would you choose a—and a, a, what, what I'm getting at here is a lot of models, especially the large church models, design around children and youth. How would you design your model as a biblical model based on how God uses His people in the Bible to build the kingdom?
4: Well, the passage of Scripture. I mean, one of my favorite books of the Bible that I'm just I just finished uh, reading again was Joshua, and you know, just the the commissioning of Moses to Joshua, and Joshua, you know, mobilizing his men, the men of valor, right, uh, to go even though the odds were against them, and and how important it was for uh, Joshua to keep his faith strong, so that those men looked at him you know, they, they had the power to, to follow through the other, you know, the, uh, other places in Colossians and Ephesians, the household uh, codes of God just talks about being a servant leader, you know, but you are to lead your family. You're to lead as Christ led the church. You're, you know, are you willing to die for it? Do not, you know, parent, uh, dads don't exasperate your children um, be that leader that you're called to be. And, um, you know, I feel like that's just kind of a uh, the mantle has been given to us, and and we empower our our wives, and we empower our children. If we don't do it, then they are they are working at a deficit. And so it's it's uh, it's so critical that we you know as a pastor you have to you have to model that yourself. And sometimes we as pastors kind of struggle with that.
0: Yeah, that's really good. Well, you know what? When I think, Gary, of Jesus and his model, and Robert E. Coleman's book, The Master Plan of Evangelism, is an excellent book. You know, Jesus' annual budget... If you, I, I have a seminar I do with the men's ministry leaders called Less Than 1%, and I have never run into a men's ministry so far in my ministry career where they've had more than a one less than 1%, but more than a 1% budget. Usually it's less than, right, in the overall budget. And so when you look at Jesus and how he did ministry... He put a hundred percent of his budget into men, and he he changed the world. And I think there's something there. And if you look in the Bible, you know the first the first human was a man. the 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 man who the person who God used to bring the the testament the the Old Testament down was a man, Moses. You know, all through the Bible, the disciples were men. The Messiah was a man. The prototype for Messiah was a man, David. Uh, Jesus or God conquered the promised land with a man, Joshua. Over and over and over and over and over again, we see. God using men and uh, there's a reason for that and, and so Gary, back to the question one of the things you and I've talked about just in our times together is that sometimes you know we talk about why are why are pastors intimidated why do pastors so often struggle with men you know and I know that when I was in high school you targeted me and you targeted me on purpose and and the reason that you targeted me on purpose and you targeted young men in your ministry, And there's a reason you targeted me as opposed to other young men. But some of those other young men that you did not target are in ministry now. And do you think that some of their um, lack of influence when they were younger, as it carries on into adulthood and they get a piece of paper that says they're a pastor, do you think there's some intimidation when they face guys like you or me or Ray in ministry? Do you think there's something that goes all the way back to their childhood and teenage years and the lack of influence and so now they carry over, and now they've got this influence over a church of 50 to 100 people plus. Have you, have you thought about that?
4: You know, I haven't, uh, you know, but I think as you bring up a, a great concept is that uh, there's something about power, right? And, and part of it is um, we, we want to—and and power is much better if it's uh, won over because people have entrusted themselves to you you know, we use that adage, when the right to be heard, um, you know, that takes time, that takes energy. It takes people watching is, are you the real deal? And I think, uh, sometimes pastors can get into a position where they really are not watched as closely. They're behind the doors preparing for a sermon. They're, they're doing some of the stuff that, you know, cause that's a pretty big pressure point to be up front of, of people on a Sunday morning. And so they got to make sure they're bringing their a game. But I think, uh, you can't, you can't really buy power. You know, power is entrusted and it's, it's, it's by the life you live and people are going to follow your example, you know, set example for believers, you know, in the way you live and the way you love and the way you, you know, uh, in in first Timothy, I think it's real important that you just follow that um, lead by example. And so that, yeah, I, I think you're right, Jim, I think, but also here's the deal. As a, as a man, if we go to a pastor and say, how can I serve you? Mm-hmm. You know, we we diffuse that versus tell them, hey, I wish you did this better. Mm. You know, but if we come alongside and say, hey, what can, I, what can I do to serve you? And then I have found that in any context with a leader, if you go that route, whether it's principal of a high school, uh, head coach of a, an athletic team, how can I serve you? Next thing you know, they're going, wait a minute, this guy's got my back. He, he really wants me to succeed. And then all of a sudden, they, they let you in.
0: Yeah, I think that there is, I've learned something also that's a little bit alarming. Uh, I've, I was at an event that, I flew out to an event in a state across the country. And when I landed, I was the keynote speaker. When I landed, I found the event was canceled. So I had to do a remote uh, a live stream message. But that event had uh, at least eight or nine other uh, speakers presenting different seminars and things, and I was quite personally appalled with some of the whining and complaining with these nationally known or nationally nationally recognized men's ministry leaders. And I have learned—I have seen this in a lot of guys also, that a lot of men's ministry leaders— uh, sadly, are some of the whiniest, complainiest guys on the planet, too. And so if they would come at things not with, oh, my pastor's this and that and that, and instead came at the pastor with, how can I serve you, I think they would get a lot more done. I think you have a lot better option when you're tactful <laughs> as opposed to... Com- I'm watching the news right now, and I'll just say this. I, I try to be apolitical. I'm an independent politically. But uh, you know, I'm watching uh, gov- the governor of New York just whine and complain about everything. And it's really frustrating to me. That to watch a leader do that, and when I see leaders do that, I go, man, this is we. It's 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 time for another leader to step in. That's going to actually prepare us or not caught with their pants down, so to speak. And so, I, and that's not a political statement. I just noticing something, but I want to move on to the next uh, question. So, Dale, you got it right.
3: Moving right along here to Joe in Washington, and he says, Jim, you've referred to Job twenty nine as the counterpart to Proverbs thirty one. Please unpack that.
0: Yeah, uh, Gary, I'll ask you to jump in here, too, because I know you're familiar with this. So Proverbs 31, we talk about the Proverbs 31 woman. Uh, we've been hearing about the Proverbs 31 woman for years and years and years and years. In my uh, playbooks, uh, playbook volume one, I have a section in there called The Nine Traits of Manhood from Job 29, and I got that information from a book called Missing from Action, written by Hardin Weldenbrook. So, Harden Weldon Brooks, Missing from Action, is a great resource uh, for men who are involved in men's ministry. And so, in that book, Harden unpacks these nine traits of manhood from Job 29. So, I declare often that Job 29 is the men's chapter. So, the Job 29 man. And so, Joe actually knows Joe very well. Joe's an old friend that goes back 25 years, lives in Port Orchard, Washington. And so, Joe, I, uh, thanks for that question, brother. I'm going to unpack that for you. So Job lists nine qualities of a man in chapter 29, and I'm not going to give you the addresses themselves because I don't have them off the top of my head, but I'm going to tell you what he lists in Job 29 that a man does. The first thing is this, man, man, a, a godly man, the, the Job 29 man is first and foremost, he's a pursuer of God. Philippians 3.12 says, you know, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Took hold of me, and that that word press on in the Greek is dioko. It's a it's a track word. It's a hunting word. It means to pursue, chase after, stalk. It's man is a pursuer of God. Matthew six thirty three. Jesus said, "Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well." And it's the picture of a man who is deeply committed to God. Uh, Ray mentioned early in our podcast: If you are a single Christian man and you want to meet gorgeous Christian women, just radically pursue God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and you'll become the most attractive, handsome stallion on the planet. Even if you're five foot two, a hundred nothing pounds. All right. So pursuing God. Number two, He remembers His past, so it's really important. I, I, I realize, and I say, remember His past. That does not mean you go back and you reflect on your failures or you camp on your victories and you become you know uh who was the musician that sang glory days glory days yeah he was the guy from new york the born in the usa
3: bruce springsteen. oh bruce springsteen. bruce springsteen yeah
0: you know going back and reliving our glory days but but if you read the book of second peter second peter all throughout the book is remi- saying i'm saying this to you as a reminder." And if you look at the Old Testament, especially Joshua, when he crossed the Jordan River, he set up a monument to remember what was there. And I think it's really important for us as men to set up monuments, to set up mementos. I have mementos all around my office that remind me of great things in my life. And I think that what we need to do as believers is remember constantly what Jesus did when we got saved. Remember constantly how Jesus led us through this wilderness called our life, and I think that's really important. And so we need to make sure that we're always remembering the things that God has done in our life, because when I see people fail, and Gary, why don't you speak to this? It's often because they forget what God has done.
4: Yeah, I mean, I I think we do have to come back constantly to that reference. You know, Who who do you give the glory to? Um, Is it you, or is it God who is the the great giver? Um, I think also some of the things... um, you know, Joe. In this passage, it, it seems like i lot of those elements, and Jim, but you'll probably touch on them, is about us pursuing others who are in need. Yes. You know, the fatherless, the poor, the widow, the those who really need us to step into the gap, and be the men that God's called us to be. So it's the need is great, but God is greater, and He wants to work in it through us to meet those needs.
0: That's excellent, Gary. Thank you so much for elaborating. Hey, we're going to take a short break, you guys, and hear from our sponsor. We'll be right back. Gotcha.
2: The Men in the Arena is a nonprofit organization with the mission to inspire men towards becoming their best version and changing their world. Every man in the arena matters. Our Men in the Arena closed Facebook forum for men is a great way to dialogue about manhood with men from around the world. There, we have lively discussions on every topic of manhood imaginable. Join that group today because of the passion to see men get out of the bleachers and into the arena jim wants to offer some powerful resources to all men who visit our website at meninthearena.org. give us your email and we'll send you a free pdf version of the field guide it's jim's 365 day bathroom book for men it's the study of manly words in the bible illustrated with great stories this is also a great resource for all our arena men we'll also add you to our weekly equipping blast including jim's personal blog prayer requests and weekly boots on the ground mission Men, the stakes are high. The pressure is on. Do you hear the roars of those you love and those anonymous voices in the bleachers pleading for you to enter the fight? Because when you get it, everyone wins. Now, back to our episode.
0: All right, so number three that Job lists in Job 29, Job is reflecting back on his life before his children were taken from him, and he he said he was close to his kids. So aspect number three, out of Job 29, the aspect three, or trait three of uh, manhood is a, a man stays close to his kids. And so when we read that, we think, oh, my little children. But if you look at the context, Job's children were taken from him when they were young adults. And so Job, and we remember, if you remember uh, the scripture, Job would pray for his kids and offer sacrifices for his kids after they would throw a party just to make sure that they were okay. So he stayed close to his kids even into their adulthood years. So Gary, Ray, what do you guys think about that?
1: Well, what a challenge, man. I'm, I'm looking at, again, I only have a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old. So to think, you know what, we have this connection now, that, but that connection is based off of their need for me, their, their fundamental needs to keep living. Um, but I feel so called to and challenged by the fact that that relationship will turn into this back-and-forth kind of, you know, going over the word together, going over theology together, kind of learning and growing together. So it's encouraging.
0: Thank you for that. And Gary, you really have modeled for me, a man who pursues other people in relationship and uh, you have done an excellent job of pursuing your adult children and they're in their late thirties and forties. Now, what, when you hear close to your kids as now a grandfather, how does that affect you? What does that speak to you when you hear a man remains close to his kids?
4: Well, it, it takes intentionality. And, you know, whether Ray is your kid, you're younger, you have to be intentional spending time with them. I just came across, I was going through some old, um, you know, uh, what do you call it? My, uh, I want to say diary, but, you know, just. Uh, journals. Uh, yeah, journals. And And I went back and I just, I was looking at when I was living in Germany, when my kids were your age, Ray. And I was saying I need to have a date with each one of my children monthly. It's an intentional time where I just get to know them and do things that they want to do and spend time just them and me. And and that that's no different today. Um, you know, my kids are scattered a little bit. Um, but, you know, I talked to my son in Las Vegas last night. Uh, you know, Colin's living with us. My daughter was up in the mountains. I talked to her yesterday. You know, she just had a presentation affirming her and finding how she's doing dates. They really like to listen to their dad. Uh, they like to have an, you know, an interaction. Not, not that I'm telling them what to do, but more we're still in in this constant dialogue about how life is going, how I'm praying for them, how they, uh, you know, just, just I'm engaged, and I think I I have to work at that, and so engagement takes time, and it takes intentionality.
0: Hey guys, and so so if you want to. Check this out further. We had two great podcast episodes that really dealt with dating your kids, hanging out with your kids and how to do that. Hal Perkins, episode number 199, and Matt Friedman, episode 267. Highly encourage you to go listen to those. It'll really help you to understand this staying close to your kids. So number seven, and uh, Ray, I'm going to have you tackle this. I think you've got some uh, firsthand knowledge of this. Number four, out of the nine traits of manhood found in Job 29, again, Job 29 is a Proverbs 31 for men, is a father to the fatherless. And so I'll say this. I've had a couple kids live in my house that were my my son's friends. Probably at least two or three have lived in our house. But if I go back when my children had children, or my children were in the home, if I could do anything over again, I, I think I would do this one better. Being a father to the fatherless. So, Ray, I know you've got some experience here. So what do you have to say about this?
1: Hey, there's deep passion here, um, specifically because I uh, grew up without a dad. Uh, found out my dad actually lived just down the street from me. Actually, he worked down the street from me. And yet he still had a family at home. He did everything with his kids at home. And I was just kind of uh, another person carrying his DNA for a little while. At least that's how I felt. And yeah. uh, so I acted according to that, a fatherless kid. And, and I just want to maybe just touch on... What that actually looks like. So uh, this is a true story. There was a reserve that that had elephants on it and they outgrew the area. So they had to move them to a different area, right? So in order to move those elephants, they had to, I don't know, carry, UPS can't carry them. So try to sling load them or something with a helicopter. Well, the older elephants started to break those slings. So they thought, okay, we got the females over to the new area. Uh, Let's take the young males. And that's what they did. They brought a young male over and they thought that was enough. Well, what ended up happening is that there was a spike in some violence uh, with the elephants. There was some unnatural deaths uh, where other animals were dying. And people were like, well, what's going on? They start to look into this situation and they saw here's a young elephant who killed a rhinoceros, who killed a person, who killed a hunter. This is not normal behavior. For an elephant. Well, why? Because you took a young elephant, you threw him amongst other women and with no role models and told them, hey, figure it out. And that's exactly what us men sometimes are like. We're big, uh, just clumsy mammals walking through life without a role model and not really knowing the damage we're causing it. And guess what? That problem was quickly fixed when they took a role model elephant, put him in the picture, and within weeks, it, it all stopped. They stopped stopping the, you know, the crops. They stopped killing people. They stopped killing the rhinos. And it just—that's the importance of having the man in the house. And I only see that now because it was a man who came into my life, a spiritual father who filled that void. Uh, and, and I'm so thankful for that. So I w- would encourage any listeners here is, Who is that for you? And if it's no—if it's nobody, if you don't have one. You have the men in the arena. This platform is an amazing platform to be able to get on and just—just just find somebody.
0: Yeah, and I've never we talked about this last week on our episode together, guys. I've never heard of an older guy turning down a younger guy when he's asked him to be a mentor. I've never heard of that. And the cool thing is the old guy rule; the old guys pay for it, so it's it's great. So, hey, number five of our nine traits of manhood in Job twenty nine is the enforcer of justice. Now, when you think of an enforcer of justice, what do you think, Gary?
4: It's, it's someone who uh, does the right thing and. Uh... And models what it means to uh, stick up for those who are uh, the oppressed.
0: Who are the oppressed in our culture, in your opinion?
4: I mean, that's a wide, wide swath of folks, Yeah, but uh, you know, it could be somebody of um, a diverse color or nationality uh, could be women, could be men, could be children. Uh, so, you know, uh, you know, our, our brother Kai has gotten involved in in that uh, whole idea of, of what's going on with, uh, uh, you know, being sexual uh, candidates or or trade, you know, the things that are going on all across our, our nation. How are we stepping into the void and protecting those who need to be protected?
0: Yeah, that's really good. Well, The, the Man in the Arena was founded based on... Seeing an injustice of children grown up with fathers, seeing men neglected in churches, you know, seeing church budgets go to uh, areas that biblically are not a priority over men. And so that was something that we've done. And there are are some, it could be the guy coaching little kids in football or soccer because he realizes there's nobody out there and there's an injustice of there's no males out there to help him out. It can be, uh, like you said, uh, Gary, it's a wide swath of things. What we like to tell men is find the thing that wrecks you. What is your Popeye moment where you can't stand it anymore? And so get out. If uh, every Christian is a minister, and every minister has a ministry. And if I am a Christian without a ministry, I would really challenge that man about his faith, and why does he not have a cause that he is fighting for or a hill to die on? So uh, Marines really love that hill to die on, don't they?
1: Semper Fi. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Hey, number... Uh, five, one, two, three, four, five, number six, and Gary, I'm gonna have you tackle this because I think you do this well. A man of godly compassion. So, what is compassion, Gary, and and how is this a trait of manhood?
4: It, it kind of lines up with the other things we've talked about. is seeing people who are needing to be loved and needing to be cared for that are are neglected by others, and uh, so having that compassion on those who. Uh, you know, stepping into that arena with folks who really need a touch from God, um, and and again, that that varies every day. You can see that whether it's supermarket, uh, you can see it in in the workplace, uh, you can see it in neighborhoods. Uh, it's places. It's all around us. And I think right now we have a very uh, a wide audience to, to minister to.
0: Yeah, that's really good, man. And I and I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll add this. I I've realized something in the last three weeks. As I've been going down my list and calling the people in our church, just saying hi to them, I have found and most of the people in our church are, are people who live out in the country, and they're living on property, and there are a dozen, two dozen men and women in our church that are widows and widowers, and when I call these people, isolation and loneliness is a huge issue. I had one guy, a good friend of mine, 85 years old, Phil, he said, Jim, you just made my day. You know, here's a guy with no Wi-Fi, no access. He's alone on, on 80 acres, and we need to really reach out to him. A friend of mine from high school who works in D.C. sent me a list of things he ne- thinks we need to do, Eric Mullen, and uh, Eric's a good bro brother, and uh, he said, here's one of his, he had four things listed, and one of them is, the fourth one is, check on the elderly in your lives. That's so important during this season, so to me, that's having godly compassion, realizing that we've got men and women who really need us. So number seven. And this one, I think, for men resonates, and I, I, I've always told people the greatest gift you can give a man is this thing, and I tell women the greatest wound you can give a man is when you remove this thing. And the thing that we need to have in our lives, that that trait of manhood that is so important, that seventh trait of manhood, is a man who is—do you think you know it, Ray? Dale, Gary, do you guys can guess it? What's the most important gift a man can give another man? What's what's the most what's the biggest wound a woman can do to hurt a man?
3: Tell a man that he's a man. Okay, but what is that? What is that? Pay him a compliment. What is that? What you're you're right. What is that? Um
0: It's a man who Yeah. I okay, the word I'm looking him. for is respect. Respect, yeah. I believe respect is the greatest gift you can give a man. And respect is one of, of nine traits of manhood. So, do you want to, any of you guys want to unpack that? What do you, when you think, when you hear that statement, Ray, when I say respect is the greatest gift you can give me, do you know what's really funny in the Bible? In the household codes of uh, Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5, do you realize that God tells men to love their wives? Which that's really difficult for men because men don't default to love. Men default to respect. But do you right. realize? Do you realize that women are never told to love their husbands? In Ephesians five,
1: if they are told to respect. They're
0: told to respect their husbands because a woman's default is love. It is not respect. A man's default is respect, not love. So God asks the man to love, which is not his default, and a God asks a woman to respect, which is not her def- not her default. So yeah. this is a very, very important. It's a critical issue. So, uh, Ray, why don't you give me your gut reaction, and, and Gary, why don't you give me your theological response?
1: You know, I love how uh, everybody can sing that respect song by Aretha Franklin. You know, R E S P E C T, and it's it's important. But watch this. It was that song was sang by a woman, but it was written by Otis Redding. That is a That's true a story.
0: That is true. <laughs> so he wrote so that Otis song. Redding,
1: exactly, he probably a wrote man it to her. Is in here. <laughs> <laughs> you, you never know, so it's a man who's really asking this woman, you know, or, or asking people, "Give me respect." And so it kind of sounds weird to have a woman sing the song, but of course she sang it and knocked it out of the ballpark. And here we are, so many years later, uh, singing the song. But yeah, it's so fundamentally important for us men. And if, if there's anything that I could say is uh, an area of tension, especially right now, when I'm home all of the time and my wife's there with me, I'm with, we're with the kids. Um, it's the area of, Hey, I just want to be spoken to with respect. And she doesn't think she's, she doesn't mean to disrespect me. That's not it at all. It's just that she has to grow in understanding of what it looks like to respect me. And then I have to grow in understanding of what it looks like to live with her in an understanding way. And and to love her as Christ loved the church.
0: Yeah, that's very well said, man. Gary, what do you think?
4: Yeah, I don't think I can unpack it theologically. I just think (laughs) emotionally. It's a, It's what really triggers us. And uh, when someone respects you, it just brings up those deep um, confidences. It brings up uh, affirmations. It's all those things that make you feel like, uh, I think I'm the man that God's called me to be, especially when our wives respect us. And so uh, it's, it's hard to put a finger on it, but I know how powerful it is.
0: Did you ever did I mean, you ever you know, have have you ever thought about what I said earlier that that the Bible tells a man to love and a woman to respect because those aren't our default settings?
4: Well, you know, I I can't remember the guy's name, but there's a Emerson love and
0: respect. Emerson Egricks, love and respect.
4: Which resonates with most people I know that have gone through that. So okay, that's exactly what that's putting definition to what it means to love one another well.
1: And you guys, you know, could- Emerson breaks up in his in his book, um, Love and Respect. He says, you know, sometimes we force uh, little boys uh, at the playground when they accidentally knock over a girl, and, and you know, look at him, look at her in the eyes. You know, when the lunch lady's asking the boy to apologize, look at her in the eyes and apologize. And really, what you're doing there is you're not even understanding the fact that there is a difference, fundamental dis- difference between men and women, uh, especially in this area. That a man is actually showing respect when he's you know, kind of bowing his head a bit. Uh, he's he's not looking at her in the eyes, but he's sincerely sorry. Um, and and I just want to add onto there. You know, how many Marines, uh, Army so, uh, soldiers, or Navy sailors have died in foreign nations with this uh, sense of honor and respect and, and, and honor in them because of the respect that they have for the service, their service members, and their country. And so, if anything, I mean, respect is what has carried the American flag on Mount Suribachi, you know, and has held it there, you know, holding the ground in foreign lands.
0: That's really good, man. And I actually have a a new habit I've started in airports, which is on hold for a season. Whenever I see someone with a uniform, I walk over and thank them for their service. And that's a term of respect, right? And so um, I think that's really good. Hey, we had actually had Emerson Egricks on our podcast Episode two hundred three, guys. You need to look that up. That it's a very the book is about three hundred and fifty pages, but it's very very easy to read. I know they have videos, which for us guys, very very easy to watch. But you need to listen to our podcast on your way to work uh, one of these days. Excellent podcast on love and respect and and how God has theologically wired us, and He really unpacks Ephesians five beautifully. So number eight, and Gary, this is something about you that I really respect uh, as a pastor. And uh, this is something I see in this day and age. We're highly transient. And, and uh, Ray, for you, it must be very frustrating because of your job. You're not able to do this the way you would like. But the number eight out of nine traits of manhood from Job 29 are deep roots in this community. And I think we need this more than we ever have. Gary, you know, you spent your first five or so years in ministry you know, in the town you went to college in, that's where you led me to Christ. You moved away for Germany. You're there in Germany for over nine years. And then you've been back in Colorado for, gosh, Gary, it's got to be 25 years doing ministry in one church. And so this this concept of deep roots in the community, I'm going to have both of you address it. Because, Ray, because of your Marine career, this must be a struggle for you. And I want you to address that part of it. And, Gary, will you address deep roots and why it's so important for a man to dig deep roots in his community, why that is an actual aspect. That's a trait of manhood.
1: You know, there's this aspect of Marines coming together that it doesn't really take much to get uh, that fire kindled to get it really, uh, you know, burning hot. And that is true. So, I mean, I can go from one place to another and it feels like home quickly, but there's always been this burning desire inside of me to have a city that I am, uh, that I'm representing, a city that I want to see change, a city where I want to pour into. And so, yeah, the, it's extremely tough for us guys in the military, that even when we build uh, foundations in different places, knowing, starting off right from the beginning, time's ticking, I'm only here for two years, 11 months and 29 days. So I'm always, I always have that awareness and just to prove that point, I moved into a house with an knowing I'm going to move out of it. And I never painted. Well, I stayed there a little bit longer than I thought. But by that time I was like, well, we're leaving in six months. And before you know it, the house was all white walls because we decided never to paint, you know, just because of that.
3: Well,
0: you made a comment and I, and I know that you aren't this man cause I know you well enough, but I want to, I want to just make a comment about something you said. You said it doesn't take long for a Marine to get the fire hot. I would also add it doesn't take long for me to put a bunch of light uh, matches to a newspaper and get that hot real fast. The problem with a hot, fast fire is it burns down just as quick. And I, I have a phrase I use all the time about men like that, and I call them what, Dale? Paper fire. Paper fires. That is not so manhood. Good. So the struggle with, a, with your career is you're frustrated because you're not a paper fire man, but you're in a situation where you have to be a paper fire, but it's not your character So that's really difficult. But a lot of men that we run across are paper fires. They come on strong. They come on hot. They get instant power. And uh, they they die out and move on just as quick. And I'm always very cautious about men who want power fast and uh, make a great first impression because what I'm after is a lasting impression. And, Gary, I know you've seen that. Can you address this deep roots concept?
4: Yeah, I I would go with uh, two concepts. One is bloom where you're planted. Yes. So that goes back to Ray, where you're at, you know, wherever you're at for however long you, you bloom. But there's something about for Deb and I being here for over 25 years now in Park, Colorado, in the same house, same church. Um, it, it's like we are, uh, we, we've kind of bloomed more in, from a plant into a tree. You know, we're, our roots have gone deep. People have watched us go through different seasons of our lives, raising kids at different places. And I think um, it's a witness to the Lord because of the faithfulness of God. We've been faithful to each other and to our children and to our community. So all of a sudden there's stability. and, And there's something about that. When people go, okay, I've seen Gary in this environment, that environment, that environment, therefore I'm going to trust him. And it goes back to that respect aspect. So I think uh, there is something uh, to be said about people knowing you over seasons of life, and when they know you over seasons of life, then they they're more apt to listen to you or seek counsel from you.
0: That's super wise, Gary. And I'll tell you what, you know, we're in a small town of about forty thousand, and when you look at men's ministries around the country, they're almost always in big bigger cities. And what's kept us going here is you've got. Uh, Dale and myself have been in this community between us over 40 years, and I think the deep roots there's power. Our community has almost said to me non-verbally, "We will not let this ministry fail." I mean, all it's almost that powerful because of the deep roots in our community, and uh, that's so important to dig deep roots. and And our community's seen us navigate through, uh, you know, ups and downs, highs and lows, failures and successes. And I think there's power there, Gary. And and I I re- I, I would much rather have a a C-plus man with an A-plus root system than an A-plus man with a C-plus root system. So uh, any day of the week and twice on Sunday. So the last one here, the ninth trait of manhood. This has been fun to unpack, guys. I I really appreciate this. The ninth trait of manhood is a man of wisdom, man of wisdom. So we'll have to go to our gray-haired, gray-beard man of wisdom our sixty-four-year-old Gary McCusker. Gary, what, when you think of man of wisdom, how has that changed for you over the years? And what is wisdom, by your definition?
4: Well, I think wisdom, you know, comes from uh, you know I love proverbs, and so proverbs just thought, you know talk so much about wisdom and what that looks like in a practical basis. Uh, I just know that I used to seek out the guys like that are gray-haired. And uh, because I wanted to find out, okay, how do they do marriage? How do they do family? How do they do church? How do they do, you know? And, and what we talked about before, Ray, there's men out there who, who really want to be tapped into, and they're going to share with you life's, you know, trials and tribulations, but how they've tran, you know, transformed through those those experiences. So, I think, uh, yeah, when you have people like myself who have raised family, who have been married for 40 plus years, and there's wisdom based upon just the tread uh, on the tire, you know, that you, you've you've done a little bit of wear and tear and, and you know what it means to live life and keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And, and so you go, that's what the key has been. Keeping my eyes on Jesus all the way through. Don't waver to the right or left. Keep moving towards him. He will take you through those seasons. Some are tougher than others. So wisdom is a, is something that uh, other people give to you. you know, oh. It's not something that, it's, it's you know what I mean? You, you gain it, but people will say that's a wise man. If you say I'm a wise man, then you're really a foolish one.
0: Well, I'm thinking of this country song that's heresy. It's theologically uh, inaccurate. It says, how can I be old and wise if I'm not young and crazy? And I'm like, that's the dumbest song I've ever heard in my life that's that is what idiots are made of that's the song of fools you 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 become old and wise by listening to older wiser men not by being stupid you know I, hey if you had your first four marriages fail and you come to me with your wisdom I don't want to hear it I want to hear a guy who's loved one woman for 30 years and so I define wisdom Gary tell me if this is right I I believe wisdom is utilitarian it's it's the flesh on the bones it's 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 basic it's it's brute force it's it's this it's this fleshy thing it ain't pretty wisdom is utilitarian i define wisdom as knowledge in action i know some of the most knowledgeable people i know are 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 fully blown drug addicts and alcoholics they know some of those people know a lot but they're in deep bondage right and so to me when i think of wisdom i think of it's knowledge put into practice so it's not just knowledge. It's so when when Gary talks about wisdom, he's saying somebody who has put into practice. Now there is an aspect I, I do admit there is an aspect of wisdom that is I've had a failed experience that I want to pass on to you. That that is there. But it is really knowledge put in. So I when I receive Gary, you said that wisdom is given.
4: I, it's I mean somebody says that's a wise person. If I tell if I say I'm a wise person, then I'm really you know that's that's something that I can say of myself.
0: Yes, yeah, so you give me your wisdom. So Gary can give me his successes and his failures, right? He gives me his experience. he gives me that and then how I apply it is either wise or foolish. If I take his wisdom and don't apply it, I'm foolish. If I take his wisdom and apply it, now that is wisdom. It's knowledge applied. Thoughts, Ray?
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. Because if you look at Alexa, who is, seems to know everything that I ask her, <laughs> but then I tell her, Alexa, praise the almighty God. Guess what she doesn't do? She can't praise. She says, I'm sorry. I don't know that one. <laughs> <You> know, <so laughs> Alexa knows things, but she's she, she's not wise. That so that's a really so good point. I like
0: that. Oh, that's funny. This last question, guys, we're running out of time. I'm going to have Gary tackle this, and then I might jump on board because he and I both have experience in this area. Dale, go ahead, man.
3: There's two people that asked a similar question, one on the Facebook page here today. Uh, so first, Ryan from New York, what's your advice for someone who's experienced spiritual abuse from a church? lost their faith, has recently come back to faith in God, but has a hard time attending a church due to past experiences. So I'd also like to throw in there, I think you can tackle this question at the same time. Aaron from Oregon says, how to pick a church after you have moved to a new state. So I think it's picking the church, hit it. Go ahead, Gary.
4: There's a lot of resources out there to vet a good church. And so, you you know, you need to go and find out, okay, How long has that pastor been there? Uh, What's his reputation? Uh, What is the theology? What's the mission of the church, the vision? Uh, You know, are they... uh, And then then begin to not dive in with both feet, but go in gently and go in wisely um, and find people in that church and and start to uh, interview them. Why why is this church so special to you? Why is it that you... Every church is messy. Every church has is, is made its you know, um, faux pas, but how have they responded? And of course, how has the leadership responded accordingly? So you, you just have to do some investigative work, but they're out there. Good churches are out there. You just have to do the, 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 the you know due diligence to make sure you um, follow through with the convictions you have in your heart.
0: That's really good, Gary. Uh, I really appreciate that. You know, one of the things I want to add to that is we are in a consumeristic society where people do go church shopping, and when they go church shopping, they're asking this question, what can the church do for me? And so, uh, and I agree with Gary, every church is messy, every church has its secrets, every church has its blemishes, and so we've got to be very careful. You will not find the perfect church. When Shannon and I went church hopping we didn't church hop we went to one church and stayed there we've been there ever since we wanted a strong teaching in the word and i wanted that and she wanted the uh, good worship but one of the things i want to say guys is this and and i agree with everything Gary's saying wholeheartedly i would just add a question that Gary has already already added this question early in the podcast when you go to a church don't don't ask you know i mean it's okay to ask but move but you have to move beyond what this church can do for me and you've got to ask yourself this how can i serve in this church is there an area where i can use my gifts to bless this church and that that was a question i asked and i think if and Gary you had said that earlier if, when you ask that question it diffuses a lot i think when a, a man asks that question it diffuses a lot of the weaknesses of the church as well and he's able to see past the sloppiness thoughts
4: you know i think a part of that is um, when you step into the, this, but, you know, behind the scenes of a church, you begin to find out what's really there. And then, and so the, the respect of the pastor, the respect of the elders, the, you know um, the heartbeat of other centeredness versus self-centeredness. So when you see a church that really has concern for others more than building their uh, castle or their kingdom, and, and they're really building God's kingdom, mm-hmm. look at their missions. I mean, what what is their focus, outward focus? That's so important.
0: That's really good, man. Hey, D- Gary, let's talk about this uh, Ryan's question. He said, what's your advice for those who've experienced spiritual abuse from the church, lost their faith, and have recently, recently come back to faith in God, but has a hard time attending church due to past experiences? What would you say to that person?
4: I'm going to go back to what Ray said even in our last podcast that there's people out there that you need to come along that are safe for you, that you can ask questions and ask them to protect you from those snares that have really hurt you in the past. And so find somebody who can kind of guide you, mentor you into that stability of finding a good church home. All
0: right. Ray, do you have something to add there?
1: You know, when it comes to spiritual abuse, and I'm just saying this because um, I have experienced this uh, through me and my wife I think it's relearning the heart of God uh, after a bad experience that needs to be a, a priority in somebody's mind, especially when they feel like they lost their faith because of it. Because, you know, we are flawed. Uh, sometimes our message could be flawed, but God is not. And so if we have a misconception about God because of that spiritual abuse or because past experiences, we have to just, you know, get, get past it and then relearn the heart of God. The worst thing a man can do is put a period at the end of that sentence like, I was hurt at the church, period. Okay, then what? Like your salvation is at stake here, my friend. So it's I was you know hurt by the church, comma, but I had to relearn the heart of God, and this is what I found out.
0: That's good, man. I, I, let me, I I've got a buzzword that really bothers me, and uh, I it, this is a justice issue for me, and it's the word abuse. Man, <laughs> we throw that word around way too flippantly, way too flippantly. So I would just really challenge a definition here, man. I, I want to know what abuse means. Were you? Uh, did somebody touch you inappropriately? You know, I mean, I mean, or did you feel bullied? I mean, we got to be really careful with this word. I'm not saying that Ryan is off here, because I think there is there is a such thing as a bully pulpit. Uh, people do get violated in the church and abused in the church. Uh, I just want to be very careful to throw that word around. So I want to challenge us there. And I want to say this uh, in my response to the question because I I did I have been wounded. I'll call the word wounded uh, by the church. <laughs> and I would say if you've been wounded by the church, if you have felt abused or violated by the church, and I know this sounds, uh, this is where Gary the pastor comes out and Ramos the more evangelist comes out, and, and I I would just say welcome to the church. <laughs> I mean, if you haven't been wounded by the church you probably have not gone to the deeper levels and seen the back door, the backside, that that deeper level of the church, because we are messy people, the church is messy, the church is sloppy, and I would just say, in as a, a Christian man, we would need to be mature and find a way to, to get over it, because we're going to be hurt. And if you haven't been hurt by the church, I'm going to really challenge that you're not sold out. Because Second Timothy three twelve says, "For the godly in Christ will be persecuted, and if you have not been persecuted or felt wounded by, you know, I was just thinking about the old chorus, Gary. Remember, I am a wounded soldier, but I will not leave the fight because the great physician is healing me. Or you could rephrase it: I am a wounded marine, right? Because they're not soldiers, and Thank so you, very much. you know, yeah, that's respect, baby, respect. So I would just say this, and here I also want to add one more thing. I hear this all the time from immature believers." And this phrase bothers me. And Gary, I'm going to let you tackle this one after I have my little rant. I hate it when people say, oh, there's hypocrites in the church. And you, I always answer this. Yeah, there are. Everyone in the church is a hypocrite, myself included. And guess what, bro? You're a hypocrite. So get over your hypocrisy and realize we're hypocrites. None of us can write checks and cash them all. I mean, we are it's like Maverick and Top Gun. You're writing checks your body can't cash. That this is you know this is the there's a disconnect sometimes because we think people in the church are perfect we are not perfect but we are saved by the perfect one and so I don't know Gary maybe I'm a little harsh here can you uh, bring some uh, wisdom uh, come alongside me
4: Jim you probably heard me say this before <clears throat> when Deb and I first started ministry a guy named Jay Kessler oh the I remember a youth for Christ said this at a banquet. <clears throat> he says, you need to remember this. If you're going to stay in ministry, people are no damn good. (laughs) And I, I, I remember that as this was yesterday.
0: I have never heard that Gary.
4: People are going to disappoint you. Keep Your eyes on Jesus, not on people. Mm. We are sinners. And so, yes, we're hypocrites. Yes. We're sinners. Jesus is not. And that's why, you know, and, and I'm, probably in the ministry today because of what Jay said, because I kept looking at people to, to, uh, you know, be my examples, to motivate me, to be my, uh, the folks I would kind of look up to, to who I wanted to be someday. And then I realized those people started falling left and right.
0: Yeah.
4: And I realized I need to keep my eyes on Jesus. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. Mm. And thanks be to God. I've, I've heard that message from Jay back in 1978
0: well you quoted uh, Hebrews 13 eight I think it is Gary uh, for he is Jesus is the same yesterday today and forevermore and then I'm thinking of Hebrews 4 fifteen for we do not serve a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who is tempted in every way just as we are yet was without sin and we and Gary as a guy who led me to Christ and as a mentor for 40 years, you know, you've always pointed me to Jesus, period. Right. And that's, I really am thankful for that. And and guys, you're going to get abused. You're going to get beat up. You're going to get wounded by the church because we're messy, sloppy sinners. And, uh, and I think there's some, so Ryan, your question is so deeply powerful. Thank you so much for that question, man, bro. I would just say, get back in the game, you know, use wisdom, seek wisdom, but get back in the game Uh, when we get wounded by the church, we want to climb up in the bleachers and be anonymous. It's the easiest thing to do. It's our gut reaction. You know, I would say go up in the bleachers for a season, a couple quarters, halftime, whatever it is for you, but you've got to get back. The bleachers is just a resting place. You need to get back in the game. So get back in the game. I'm glad to hear that your faith has come back, but get back in the game. The church desperately, desperately need you. Hey guys, thanks so much for coming on the show. Ray from Florida, Gary from Colorado. Thank you guys so much.
1: Thanks a lot for having me on, man.
0: Hey man, really excited to have you. Thank you so much. Hey guys, we're going to get our boots on the ground and just ask you guys, what's the next step for you? And so because this this uh, podcast answered so many questions, I'm just going to ask you to go to our website, www.meninthearena.org, check it out, Dale's been doing some great new stuff on there. Check out our Facebook forum for men with men from 85 nations. And I want you to ask this question, guys. What can you do to make the movement called Men in the Arena push back the darkness? We're looking for arena coaches. We're looking for guys who can write. We're looking for guys with admin skills. We're looking for 100 men to launch virtual teams. We need you in this game, so I want to challenge you to that end. Guys, we're going to post our boots in the ground, our weekly equipping blast. You can get that when you go to our website, grab the free electronic version of my bathroom book for men. When you do that, we'll add you in. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor, hear the deafening roar of the crowd, taste the sweetness of victory, smell the stench of battle, get in the game, get dirty, ask the right questions, get the right answers, grind it out, and be a man.
2: Men in the Arena is a non-profit, funded organization that exists to inspire men to become their best version. We're able to freely offer this podcast, weekly equipping blasts, discussion forums, plus our small group resources to the three M's, active military, missionaries, and men in underdeveloped nations. This could only happen because of a large group of generous donors like you. You can find out more about how to support our ministry at meninthearena.org.